Hello, welcome to Pole Pod with me, your host, Dolly Daggers, where I talk all things mindset with your pole idols. Today's guest is the incredible Amy Spinks. If you don't know Amy, you should head to her Instagram right this moment, Amy Spinks Personal, and go and have a look at her recent performances. They're highlighted in her reels. And most of her performances are character-led. Um, I feel like she has a very unique style. And yeah, just go and check them out so you know what we're talking about in this conversation. If you take one thing away from this episode, I want it to be feeling fear but going towards what you're scared of and Amy talks about this a great deal and it's really really inspiring she talks about being at the beginning of a new project not feeling you know like that comfortable with it but still going forwards and I think that can be great inspiration for anyone who's unsure about starting something new whether it's writing a song writing a book starting a routine competing Uh, doing teacher training anything where you feel like oh I'm not sure about this she talks about that and she says you're going to be all right you know just go and do it so we hope you enjoyed this conversation let us know what you think (laughs) (laughs) I get nervous straight away as soon as I say that I know right (laughs) it's like instant (laughs) switch on of stuff yes Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's just start with a little bit of an icebreaker. I wanted to ask you what your weirdest character trait is. Just quite throwing uh, you a kind of tough question just to start with. Do you have any weird things that that maybe no one knows about you that you can share? Um, if I want to make a really boring task interesting, I tend to imagine these really random scenarios so for, I actually told my husband this one recently and he just burst out laughing um but no one else knows this so if I'm ever putting the lawn like hanging wet laundry on the clothes horse to dry because it's quite you know monotonous and tedious I will imagine that I'm on a game show and I'm competing against somebody else who's got to get all of the clothes onto the clothes horse but I might set challenges like oh you're not allowed to touch the any part of the wire on the rack with your hands so you've, you've got to be really nimble and uh, <laughs> and fast and just <laughs> silly things like that where I just imagine scenarios to make something a bit more interesting. <laughs> that's, that's interesting that you go to like a competition part because um I wonder if that's how you're wired because obviously yeah I don't know um you've obviously done like quite a lot of competitions have you counted how many you've done oh I've probably done one two six seven okay six or seven something like that now I think and did you do a different routine every time yes oh wow so you've been through the whole creative process seven times yeah I um I do sometimes say to myself oh I'll 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 do it more than once so I've got a chance to refine it but I enjoy the creating side so much that once I've done it and performed it I can't wait to move on to the next and and start percolating ideas for it. Good I I was really interested in your creative process um, because 
I I love all your performances. Like um, I'm like oh, fangirling on you. But I I sometimes just if I'm stuck for something to do in my routine, I'll just go on your profile and be like, what should I do? Will, <laughs> even if I'm not just nicking ideas, but it might just give me like, oh maybe try this, and you know just to give me like a different way into something. It's really interesting. Um, so I was going to ask you about your creative process. So do you have like a notebook or something that you write creative ideas on? Like how do you and where do these ideas come from? So I think it's easier to think creatively when you're relaxed and not necessarily working to a deadline. And I recently listened to a um, an Andrew Huberman podcast where he actually discusses how you can encourage creativity. And he talks about how there's um, you have to go through a period of relaxation to open your mind to new ideas before you then go into a period of focusing those ideas into something that's pragmatic and practical. And so I find that if I'm not necessarily working on a new routine, if I've already got something, but if I happen to have an idea, then I will just write it down. So I've got a keep notes on my phone that I add ideas to, and that might be a concept. It might be a piece of music. It's usually concepts though, um, but I tend to find the concepts through the music. Um, I tend to find that I will listen to a piece of music and I will suddenly very vividly visualize a story or it might make me feel a certain way and I'll go, okay, let's explore that. So I tend to start with the music and then try and find the ideas through that. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, I think a lot of people are like that, um, but I love your character led performances. So I wanted to ask you where that came from, because when I watched some of your character led pieces, it made me think about pole in a different way. And it made me think about movement in a different way. So I wondered where you were, like who you were inspired by or where that came from, the idea of like being a character rather than just dancing, having like a concept and sort of like a theme. I think it comes from an enjoyment of escapism. I've always, always loved creative writing. I used to do theatre when I was at college and I loved the idea of having, because music, uh, music is very different to everybody, but for me, it's a very emotional thing. So a piece of music will make me feel a certain way. And often that is then the character that I want to portray. I don't necessarily go into it thinking I need to be a character. I'll have this song and an idea and it'll probably come from how that makes me feel and then a character is born from that um and I find it easier to to take that approach because I feel like if you are a character or if you're feeling what you're dancing and you've got that um external expression from your movement and, and how you're um, experiencing the music I feel it can also help with your choreography because it means then that you're not just putting in moves or transitions for the sake of it. You're asking yourself, okay, why do I want to put this in? Is it going to progress the story? Is it going to give character development? Is it going to give the, uh, the information I want to the audience? Or is it just there because I kind of think the trick's cool? And that's fine. I know that, um, you know, lots of people want to just put the cool fun stuff in and, and that's great to see as well. But for me personally, I like to make everything deliberate because if you've got you could have 10 people do the exact same combo 
but they could do it all completely differently because they will have a different interpretation of the music. Some Somebody might go, you know, what, I want to do this combo with loads of aggression and it'd be really um, like staccato and, and you know, fast and, and dynamic. Somebody else might go, oh, I, actually, I sense something that could be a little bit more intimate or flowy. And, you know, suddenly you can give purpose to your movement and I think that's what I like about the character is it gives purpose to your movement you know how and why and what you're doing for me the character element has um definitely given me escapism and it definitely makes me really clear on my style it's not necessarily my style it's like me being that character it gives me more ideas whereas if I was just dancing as me sometimes I get more stuck does that make sense so like and also yeah. like it, it gives me an idea for maybe using props like uh, when I did the Marie Antoinette one I was thinking about using a fan and then all of a sudden like it kind of evolves um but yeah it's been like the character part of performing for me has been like such a change it's, mm. it's made me like just so much more confident so I think it is the escapism part and just also being like a different person it just gives yeah. you yeah um I don't know it makes you different too because I like some people do do character led, led performances don't they but I, it's not always like that um at pole competitions um i think it gives you like an edge or something different to show um i wanted to ask you as well um because you have done the creative process quite a few times have you ever had moments where you've been really stuck when you're creating and what do you do in those moments There's times when I've wanted to achieve something and then I've had to think, okay, how are we going to achieve this um, within the confines of a theatre that you can't really rehearse in, um, limited um, technical things that you can do um, that are down to your control. So um, there's, there's those kinds of challenges, but I quite like those. I like going, okay, here's this grand idea that I want to do that sounds ridiculous and so extra, but there's got to be a creative, cool way to pull this off. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Yeah, so you're, you're facing it in a quite positive way rather than being like, oh, like I, I can't do this or I, I don't know how, you know, like you're being like, oh, I can, I can figure this out like it's okay like we'll we'll work this out we'll have fun with it kind of a little bit more playful than really serious is that right yeah definitely I think the only time I felt um frustrated and um, but it was actually only for a fleeting bit of time was in putting my guest performance piece together for British Pole Instructor Championships I'd said to myself okay it's a guest performance I'm I'm, I'm I've only got a few weeks I'm gonna do something easy I'll do something that is maybe different to what I do in competition. So there isn't the pressure that I've got to live up to that standard if I'm doing the same style of thing. So I thought, oh, for once, I'll do something slow and flowy and I'll get to explore that. And I found this piece of music and I was trying to choreograph stuff to it for weeks. And I, I had stuff, but nothing felt right and I couldn't figure out what is what is it that's not right about this and then the moment I started entertaining other music and found the track that I eventually did do which was Night Calling by Miley Cyrus which is completely different really upbeat very um got 80s vibes to it yeah the choreography just came 
because I vibe with the music. So that was a really good lesson for me to go, you know what, if you're not vibing with the music, that is going to put a massive blocker on your creativity. So I, I think that's the only time I've felt a, a sense of frustration with it. But generally speaking, um, I don't know if it just comes from the industry that I work in. Like, if there's a problem, there is, there has to be a solution. There has to be. And there usually always is. And when you get used to being able to problem solve, you get more confident in your ability to do it. So when you are met with challenges, you're less likely to freak out or get frustrated by it. You're more likely to go, okay, this is a huge problem. Right. What can the solution be to this? Let's let's get creative. And it helps make that process a lot easier and more enjoyable as well. That's cool. I really like that. So you're basically saying, I've got this, I can work it out. There's some confidence in your ability to problem solve. And I definitely think with creating a routine, either comp routine or whatever, just with a deadline, you have to make quick decisions, don't you? And you have to just kind of roll with it and trust that the, it's going to work out okay and stay calm because the moment you get stressed and frustrated, it all just goes down the toilet, I think. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about your photography because um you mentioned your work um and i really think because you are like a visual artist as a pole artist um i feel like you can see your ph photographic work kind of coming through would you agree with that and how has photography and that side of of yourself come into the, your pole routines i would say the biggest influence from my work would be less the photography itself but more um so I used to do unit stills photography. So for people who don't know what that is, um, I used to work on film sets. And whenever you see a photo from a film or a TV show, chances are it's not a screen grab. There's always a photographer who's hunkered down next to the camera crew and will be getting still frames of what they're filming. So they, they've got those clear, sharp frames. Um, and that was an environment where I was very fortunate to be working with the best storytellers in the world you know world's world's best actors world's best directors the best costume designers production designers all coming together to take this story that has been written down and make it believable to the audiences to make them feel emotion to give them the information that they need whilst also creating mystery and tension and I think it's seeing that and being part of that process that has really helped me with understanding um, better how to put things together to convey that story. And it was always very important to me. Um, and this probably is going back to my photography a little bit. So my biggest pet peeve when I did my photography degree was um, the attitude that some, um, some artists had and some of my lecturers had where you could take a picture of anything and so long as you say that it has meaning oh well then it's very artistic it has meaning for me i wanted whatever i created i wanted people to resonate or connect with somehow or, or either if i wanted to get them to explicitly understand the, the narrative that it's supposed to convey or explicitly give them the feelings I want them to feel without the need of like a blurb that does the work for it. Like it was always important to me that the work itself on its own 
could tell the story that I wanted it to tell. So I think that mixed with seeing how um, world-class storytellers bring stories to life, you know, on, you know, whether it's screen or stage, I think that's massively impacted the the choices I make and the approach that I take to to poll. Definitely, yeah, they kind of merge together. Um, I wanted to go a little bit into when you started competing and what drew you to competing in poll, um, and also how your first competition experience was. I've always been competitive. Every single thing I've ever since a kid, even like in primary school, I wanted to do all the talent shows and I did all the sports, but I wanted to be the best at those sports. And it was, I don't, I don't know where it came from. Um, I don't know if it was having three brothers and feeling like I have to prove myself. Um, but yeah, I think as soon, I think I was, I think I'd done six months of pole and I was loving it. And I was like, okay, like, are there competitions in this? Oh, there are. Great. Let's have a look at it. And I remember putting a piece together and it was a, it was a character piece um, without me even realizing that's what I was going to do. And I had this, this routine ready to go. I think it was um, as a clown to Pink's Funhouse. And I'd planned on taking that to um, the Midlands Pole Championships. But at the same time, our studio was doing a showcase and I decided, oh, this is an opportunity to do something else. So I did something that was a little bit dark and a little bit sexier. And that went down so well that everyone was like, Amy, you have to do that in comp. Like you have to like take that to Midlands instead. Um, and I'm very glad I listened to them because I did. and uh, It was very successful. So it was a really good experience. And I absolutely loved it. And I knew from then on, right, this is what I want to do. That's great. It's amazing. And so can you talk me through the other competitions you've done? If you can, I know you've done a few. So if you can just remember the ones that were sort of like a highlight for you. Sure. So I really, really loved the piece that I put together for pole art in, oh gosh, is it 2021 now? That took so long because I started working on it pre-COVID. Yeah, I um, remember that one in the straight jacket. Yes. Yeah, I love that one. Cool. I'm I'm really proud of that one um and I think what I learned from that was how effective pausing and stillness can be and also have a really slow build-up like have people going like what's going on like you know because the music does rocking that. the music does that too doesn't it so that's really cool um, yeah and I love how did you get on with um working out how to take the straight jacket off did that just um, come to you did you kind of know how to how to take it off because that's very difficult like to choreograph having your arms tied and obviously in pole we use our arms quite a lot um it's just quite yeah. an interesting challenge again that was another thing that made me go oh what can I do with this and I was even entertaining things like oh like how could I rig could I rig myself to the pole so that I can use the straps whilst I'm in the straight jacket to do tricks and stuff? And I eventually um, said no to that just from a health and safety perspective. I thought it was a bit too risky. Um, but then I knew at some point, like I have, I want to be on the pole whilst I'm in the straight jacket. And oh, wouldn't it be cool if I took it off whilst I'm spinning on the pole? Because I don't think that I've, I've not seen that anyway. Um, so. A lot of what I do 
is always, hmm, has this been done before? If not, great, that's where we want to go. If it has, ah, damn, like how tied to this <laughs> idea am I? And if I'm really tied to it, okay, how can I make sure that I'm doing it completely differently? That's really cool. Yeah. No, I love that. That's one of my favorites. Um, and I was going to ask you as well how your mindset has changed over time of you, of you competing since your first competition to now. Is there any difference? Or are you more or less pretty much the same? How, how has that been for you? I would say whilst I was still competing um, between kind of beginner and advanced, it was very much I want to win. I was going in there, I wanted to win, and that was the focus. Um, whereas now that I'm in semi-pro and I've started watching more of the semi-pros, pros and elite competitions, I realized that actually at this point, everybody is so good. Everybody is so, so good. And everyone typically by this point as well also has their own style and they're often so different. And I remember watching, I think it was the pro X, might have been pro X gen. And I just remember thinking, wow, like every single one of those performances is incredible and so different. The judges, like it, it made me realize that actually, so long as I go on stage and I am proud of the performance and I feel like I've done the performance justice, I obviously would love to win. <laughs> I'm always going to create a routine with the focusing of wanting to win so looking at the judging criteria making sure everything's I'm pushing myself and it's all tidy and neat and things but there's I'm less um concerned about that if I don't win now it's more I want to put on an amazing show that people remember because everyone else is going to do that and there is no point feeling sour if I don't win because realistically everyone else has put just as much work in and is bringing something amazing to the table as well and it might just not be what the judges want on that day and that's fine a lot of the time it's a point system with the judging criteria and sometimes it's very close mm. so like half a point one point you know um and sometimes it can just be one judge not quite vibing with what you've decided to do too um um do you read the feedback from judges and take it on board or, or are you more like uh, or do you take it with a pinch of salt? Like, how do you how do you take on criticism? Or I guess it's not really criticism. I guess it's feedback. It's a better way of putting it. Yeah. So I feel like I'm quite an introspective person. So I'm usually very cognizant of what I can do better. So I will always read the the feedback, and it's usually what I expect to see because it's stuff that I'm like, okay, yeah. I know that I have a terrible habit with having micro bends and I know that it's absolutely something I need to fix. Um, so generally speaking, I don't mind constructive criticism at all because I'm very much of the mindset that you can always do better. You can always do better. And if somebody notices something that they think I can do better, then that's a perspective that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And that's going to give me, you know, an avenue to, to go, okay, well, maybe I do need to look at that. You know, if I ever disagree with it, um, I don't know if I ever have disagreed with things. I think, um, I think I've only ever disagreed with one bit of, um, of, of feedback. Um, but everything else, I think it's, yeah, it's usually stuff that I'm aware that I need to work on. 
And I, I, I like having feedback from people because they're going to spot stuff as well that we don't see ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And I think even if you don't fully agree with it, so I had someone mention my music choice and they said it wasn't very scary. Uh, I was doing a scary, scary thing. So I kind of agreed with them to a point, uh, but then they were not an English speaker. So maybe they didn't understand the lyrics and then the lyrical content was kind of wrapped into the story. So I, I kind of was like, yeah, maybe next time I'll do a bit more of a weirder musical thing. So I've gone a little bit that way now. Um, so it does sometimes just make you question things and give you ideas for the future. So I fully agree, like feedback is so helpful. Um, mm. This, I, um, oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, you go, you go. <laughs> um, you just met, yeah. So there's, in, in line with what you've just said about um, how somebody interprets the music so there is a piece that i have wanted to do for years um but i can't do it until if i ever am able to be good enough to compete in the pro category because it's going to be a five minute long piece of music but so much of the story is actually i think quite reliant on the lyrics and i know those lyrics so to me it's really obvious what the story is but when i gotten other people to listen to it they've said they said they've struggled to make the lyrics out and then that's making me go oh okay well am I going to be able to convey the narrative Mm. that I want yeah it's tricky isn't it I mean the person who was judging me uh wasn't English so that's why I don't think he fully got the lyrics which is and some people just don't listen to them I'm a songwriter so you know lyrics and and if you're also like uh if you write things or even if you just like music and you listen to the lyrics some people are more like that way inclined whereas I feel like some people listen to music and they have no clue what the person is singing about so there's there's just like very different different ways of listening to music maybe or interpreting yeah my yeah I mean my husband always joke that he doesn't know the lyrics to anything whereas the lyrics are the key thing that I want to know about a song but he only has to listen to a really complex piece of music once and he will be able to like hum it and and get this really complex melody way before it's sunk in with me so yeah it's, it's interesting how we all interpret the same thing so differently yeah it's interesting I think my husband is like that too he definitely he's Polish so again like it's a I don't know whether it's that too the language barrier but I definitely think he hears more melody and he starts always with melody where with me I'm always writing so it's um I don't know maybe it's just different different part of the brain or I'm not not sure exactly how that works um I wanted to ask you about uh burnout because I posted Felicity's interview and you very openly mentioned burnout and that you've been through it um and I wondered if you would be able to just explain what that experience was like for you and sort of explain what burnout you feel burnout is if someone doesn't understand what that is um so I will caveat this by saying I am not an expert on it and I'm sure everyone experiences it in a very different way so I can just kind of tell you my own yeah your experience experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I got it with work it was very much an environmental thing I was working 16 hour days five days a week and then sometimes working weekends in an environment where you are usually used as a scapegoat when um, A-list actors <laughs> want to hide their fuck-ups. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of 
there's a lot of physical stress through the long hours that I was doing a lot of mental stress in the way that um, certainly my role on set was often treated um, not always but um, th there were yeah let's say there were a lot of mental challenges in that role and it just I think because there was no let up and I, I felt like because I was literally waking up I would leave my hotel room within 15 minutes of getting out of bed go to work, work until like nine o'clock at night, come back to the hotel, do all my image processing to deliver stuff to the client and then literally go, go straight to bed. And I'd be drinking Huel's, you know, in the car. So my brain for months and months and months and months at a time never had time where it was decompressing or switched off from work. It was always, if it's conscious, I'm at work. And that manifested itself in lots of coping stress uh, like coping mechanisms and and responses to things the worst the worst it got for me was i completely started to dissociate at, at some point um and it's just like i was not in the room it's like i was a passenger in my body just watching things happen and there was just no emotional connection to anyone or anything um just an intense feeling of depression and I remember breaking down into tears because I'd had breakfast in I'd a bowl of cereal and I knew I had to wash it. And it was just the feeling that you needed everything to stop. And I just would fantasize constantly about running away into the forest and being completely on my, on my own in silence. Um, and that went on for, I think that probably went on for about nine months because um, it was a particularly long project that I was working on. Um, and it was a real shame that that was also the year that I got married. So I had a wonderful day, but it really did um, impact the run-up for me. Um, I started seeing the wedding of, oh my God, this is just like one more thing I've got to do. And I'd rather it just not be on my plate. Um, I persevered because I was able to identify this is environmental we're coming up to the Christmas break. I'm going to get three weeks off where I get to do nothing. If I can make it to then, let's see how I feel. Hopefully I'll reset. Um, and then we'll make decisions after that point. Once we can kind of rule out, you know, what it is after I've had that break. And thankfully, once I did have that break, it was much better. And from then on, it absolutely made me prioritize my health. 100%. I'm, I'm actually quite glad that I had that experience because now I will set more boundaries with work um, and not do things that are going to put my health at such a, a risk. And it wasn't actually until because I, I now I, I quit that job and I still work in the film industry um, with a different business that I have, but I'm not on set doing the same hours. And I'm not just happier. I've realized there were so many behaviors that I was doing that I just don't have anymore. Like, because I was working so much, never switching off, I had this, I had a proper existential crisis where I just saw my life going faster than I knew what was happening. And I would just wake up one day and be 80 and go, where was my life? So I started fixating on death and 
and life being short and then that made me want to um you know go partying on the one day I had off I want, I want to go party I want to feel something and I always thought oh yeah I'm just I'm just I enjoy a party but now that I'm very happy and very content I've realized actually I'm really mellow and I like nights in with my cat and my husband and just lots of different behavior changes as a result of getting out of that environment that's all really interesting there's so many things I want to talk about from that I'm not sure what to pick first. <laughs> Sorry, kind of just like... <laughs> no, it's great. I was letting you talk because uh, I relate to so much of what you said. There's some gratitude for what happened, which obviously wasn't a very nice experience, but you then, I'm just like kind of paraphrasing you, that you learned then not to get into that same um, situation again. Um, working on set, for example, might not be what you want to do for your own mental health. Um, what other like behaviors uh, were you sort of doing that isn't really like you now, now that you're happier and not in that same job, in the same situation? So the main one would be actually just being really content with what I have and not, um, I, I wasn't chasing dopamine. Um, I think because the, when I, was in that industry, the highs were amazing and the lows were catastrophic. And you're constantly doing this. And when you're doing that and you're in that trough, you're you are then seeking dopamine and 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 that, you know, whether it's through wanting to go out partying and drinking too much, whether it's to buy expensive stuff that you don't need just for that hit of dopamine and to feel like you're doing something with you know the money that you're earning from doing all these crazy hours and selling your soul for um I know that it put a lot of stress on my husband um because we weren't having even just like being able to you know have time to sit and hang out and you know just little simple things like that um I definitely find now that I'm in a place where I'm extremely content. I'm, I don't, I just feel like life is just so much more mellow. Like I do not get stressed by much at all. Mm. So what boundaries have you set around work and um, to make sure that you don't go down that same route again? Um, I'm very fortunate in that being self-employed, I've got a great deal of autonomy over how I construct my workday. And I realized training is immensely immensely important to me and so when I launched my business that I'm working in now I said to myself I want this to be a lifestyle business so it has to make enough money to support me working essentially just part-time hours because I want to train Monday to Friday every morning and just work the afternoons um and I've always been strict by that so if a client has wanted a meeting in the morning it'll always be uh, oh I'm sorry I'm really unavailable I can do mm. the afternoon that's so funny um, I'm I'm exactly the same <laughs> I had some I had someone who said oh can you do like I have because I teach kids uh piano and music there are moments during half term where I sort of have to be a bit more lenient and do morning stuff with them um however i'll always keep my training days clear and if they always if they say to me oh can you um do like a monday morning i'll be oh sorry you know i have an appointment at that time mm. i just i just know that if i people please and let them have my time i'm just gonna feel rubbish 
um mm. and i'm gonna feel really unhappy doing the lesson i've just learned like it's just like a real strong boundary that i've got to stick with and i think also comp training does give you discipline doesn't it because if you have a deadline um you really have to stick to the days where you're training and you can't really be like well there's there's some leniency i guess but you have to really be quite disciplined on the days that you're training and the days that you're having off totally and i i think as well like my attitude towards training has changed it used to be I would say it used to be more fun orientated and it used to be about, oh, this is what I kind of want to do today and I'll have a loose plan. I know I would always have the same training days, but it would kind of be a bit more of a looser plan on what I was going to do that day. Whereas um, now that I'm in my mid thirties and I've still got all of these like competition goals that I've not got yet and are still going to take time. I'm very aware that I'm in my mid thirties. Mm. So I've I've now I feel like my approach to training has completely changed. Like I don't post as much online. Um I'm just like, okay, these are my gym days, these are my stretching days, these are my pole days, this is what I want to cover with pole, these this is the recovery time. And I'm taking a much more programmatic yeah. approach to it. Structured. Yeah. Yeah. I I try and be structured too. Some days, like when I want to rest, uh, I might suddenly be like, oh, I want to just train this. Uh, and if I'm at home and I have a pole at home, then I might just do it. But I know that I'm. it's meant to be sort of like active recovery. Uh, I, and then I feel bad for doing it. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Um, but yeah, I try and stay structured because I know that that's the way to recover your body properly, not get injured um mm -hmm. stay sane as well um and also like progress quicker because if you yeah. were tr like i used to i don't know if you were the same but i used to when i first started pole just pole all the time and because i guess i was doing more beginner moves maybe it wasn't as risky injury wise or maybe now I'm not sure if what it is but maybe now that i have competitions and deadlines and it's too risky to do that much because mm. I'm really scared of getting injured and messing everything up. So, and maybe I have like a bit more awareness around that. Whereas in the beginning, I was just like, oh, whatever, just to kind of do that class and that class and just a bit like all over the place. So. Yeah. And the I wish I'd have found um, weights training sooner because I'd always put it off. I always thought, oh, if I want to get good at pole, I need to do more pole. And at one point I was training like on the pole five times a week. And yeah, I was, you know, I was getting somewhere that was, that was, it was, you know, doing something, but then I'd say it's probably been six to eight months, maybe, um, that I've been working with a powerlifting coach as well, who's been programming my gym sessions and it has made such a phenomenal dif difference. And I was really worried that, oh, well, if I'm going to be doing two sessions a week of gym, that's two sessions a week. I'm not on the pole and i really worried that it would suffer and then it would fatigue me for pole but actually because my coach has listened to what my goals are how they relate to pole he's structured the program around competition dates so we've got you know the tapers and the deloads where they need to be i found that i actually always feel really good going into a pole session because what i did at the gym the day before actually is different muscle groups and now 
things feel more stable um they're stronger and I really feel like it's made such a huge difference to my poll even though I'm now actually on the poll less yeah that's interesting so I guess cross-training um has its place definitely um Mm -hmm. and um I guess that that would be my fear too is you know taking time away from pole might make you less good at pole but I I um I get that why you're saying that that's not the case um it makes sense um I myself (laughs) do not lift weights (laughs) I have some weights uh I have many physio people who have told me to lift weights um maybe I should do it, you know? <laughs> I honestly recommend it. Like I, I hand on heart wish that I'd have started it sooner. It, it's made such a difference and not just in my poll as well, but I've noticed in, um, so I was noticing um, physiological imbalances that I was getting even just day to day. Like I would notice that when I'm walking, sometimes I would favor the outer sides of my feet. And then that was starting to like put tightness through my hips. Mm. And it wasn't until doing the weight stuff, particularly like lunge work, that I realized how weak my adductors are. And now that I've corrected that, everything feels so much stronger. My hips are so much stronger. And that's making me um, not experience the same injuries or niggles that I had done previously. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. I'll definitely um, look into that when I have some time. (laughs) no it's uh, almost like you have to want to really do it. I think maybe I'll finish this competition and then start start thinking about that hopefully I'm just trying to get through this competition without getting injured and um, yeah. and stay sane and not go mental so if I if I get to the get through all of that then I'll maybe have a look at all of those things maybe it can be like a new year thing for me but um uh, that's really cool I really I'm really interested in cross training there's some like um like weird debate about it sometimes though do you see like on on instagram some people are like oh cross training doesn't help and i don't know i feel like everyone's body is different and you should just try things out and see if it helps you and if it doesn't like who cares well the thing with um i can't remember who who said it but someone made a really really valid point if you look at pretty much every elite sport or elite level of various mm-hmm. sports everyone's yeah. putting in the hours to their skill for that sport but I think pretty much every single one of them also weight train yeah every, yeah. every yeah, single yeah. one so there's got to be something there um, yeah. there yeah yeah even swimmers right um mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I say even swimmers but you know like doesn't seem like um it's like related to swimming but it obviously is right um do you ever have bad training days where you turn up? Like, let's say you've got a plan. I'm going to do flexibility training or I'm going to work on this specific move and you just are not motivated or, you know, it's not working out and you have to adapt. So I'm very lucky in that motivation is almost never an issue. Like even when I'm knackered, my biggest problem is when I am absolutely exhausted mm. and my body doesn't want to do what it wants what I want yeah. it to do but yeah, I want yeah. to go and do it um yeah. I probably used to get more frustrated with kind of bad training sessions in that regard um earlier on when I was training but these days I'm quite chilled about it like I have my program and I have my plan of what I want to do and what I want to achieve but I'm also cognizant of 
how I perform in that session is also going to be down to um, where am I in my menstrual cycle? Mm. Did I have good sleep last night? Yeah. Am I fully recovered? And as much as I will try to mitigate all of those things, you know, by having a, a consistent bedtime and, and making sure that my week's training is, is, is uh, organized appropriately, I absolutely get that some days I'm going to get to the studio, think that I'm going to have, oh, this is going to be a strength day and there's nothing in the tank. And that used to used to really annoy me because I'd be like, oh, that's what I need to do. Whereas now I see it as, oh, okay, um, so that's not going to happen. What else can we do? Okay, well, maybe today is flexy stuff. Let's have a look at some flexy stuff. Or I'm struggling with all the pulling. So, okay, let's make this a handstand day and, and be doing you know some push work. So I don't necessarily feel, I, I wouldn't describe training sessions that I have these days as ever being bad they might not be what I wanted or I planned but I think as long as you're prepared to recognize that pivot and then make the most of it you you can still have a good session it's just going to look different to what you thought it would yeah 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 I have students poll students who um for example want to get a trick um, and I remember being like that. I was like, I want to be able to shoulder mount. I'm just using shoulder mount as an example. Um, and if I'm not shoulder mounting, I'm really frustrated and I can't do it. Oh, this is really annoying. Like I would definitely go down that like route. Um, whereas I don't know now, if something's not working, I'll give it a couple of goes and then I'll just sort of change what I'm about to do. Maybe it's also just knowing that you know sometimes my body just doesn't want to do certain things Mm. and the thing is as well that when you've been training for you know a certain amount of time you get used to the idea that when you're first trying to move you don't get it in that session actually there's often a really good chance that once you've slept on it and you come back on the next session it just clicks because you've had that time to process it so I'm less likely to beat myself up and go, you know what, this is probably something that I will get next session. Or in a or, year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Some things. laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. I've got a long list of things that uh, still have not happened. Yeah, <laughs> no, of course. Um, but yes, it's true. Like sometimes you can go to sleep, wake up the next day and your body's and brain's just been like trying to figure it out. Um, but um, I think uh, maybe it's also like the Instagram culture of looking and seeing everyone so good and you're like whoa everyone's shoulder mounting why can't I shoulder mount it's um it's also a bit of that maybe that uh the comparison thing when when you're not aware of how much um strength and a and um technical like technical ability it takes to do a shoulder mount for example when you're when you're starting maybe it's also a bit of that yeah, possibly. I think also it depends um, with what you said about s- social media. I think it depends on your relationship with social media. So um, for me, I love seeing people do amazing things because even if I can't do it, even if it's stuff that I really wish I could do, because I look at that and go, wow, that was so good. I want to try that. I want to learn it. And it's, if I can't do something or it's, I don't know, like, I feel like, I'm quite chilled in that if I can't do something, that's okay. Like I'm going to train it and train it and train it and train it until I can. Yeah. But I think that is, that comes from, I think if you've developed confidence over your lifetime, 
and learn that oh if I do if there's something that I want if I work really hard and I put that effort in there's a really good chance that I'll get it it's not guaranteed yeah it's it's trusting it's trusting your work ethic I'm sort of going like getting there a little bit with with building my own confidence and sort of seeing oh right I'm I'm turning up on those days I'm putting so much work in and I feel like very proud of myself for putting the hours in and then I see like I'm looking back at comp run throughs from like a couple of weeks ago and I'm like oh that's so different like well done like you're you're moving towards your goal like it's not perfect but there's some progress so I'm definitely trying to be a bit more like that um how do you cope with the comparison thing though do you ever compare yourself to other people or you pretty much like I am me I know my style I'm very confident in what I do yeah because like for me I do sport and compete for me um I intrinsically want to be you know I'd like to win and be the best and things like that but I'm not doing it to prove that to other people Mm. I'm doing it because that's what I want for myself yeah so if I look at other people and I I don't know how to explain it so if other people are amazing I'm so happy for them and I'm like oh cool like what can I learn from them yeah and so when uh, when I did the uh, elite pole championship this year and I saw um Diana Wan was in my category I was like okay well I've got apps like there is uh, there is no sense in me even trying to compete with her on a technical level it's just not going to happen and I was totally okay with that because like okay well that's fine because I'm I don't see myself as a technical person I I don't consider myself a trickster I love the entertainment factor that's what I'm going to lean into and I know by the judging criteria that realistically um Dan is going to absolutely blow me out of the water and I was completely fine with that I don't go into that going oh my gosh like what's the point in me going because she's so much better than me and I'm mm. terrible and I don't look at people who are good and then feel bad about myself I look at people who are good and I go ah how do I learn to be like that Mm. yeah it's completely different mindset I'm trying to get there (laughs) like it's it sounds really good on paper can you just like send that to me give me a little bottle of that and I'll just be like yes no um uh, I am trying to get there. I've had I've had moments of comparing myself to people and I just realize it's not serving me and it's not useful in any way. So there's that. But then um, competing, uh, let's say when I competed in Spain and I saw what my other fellow competitors were doing, some of them had won like um, Polar Italy. So I was just like, whoa, like, you know, (laughs) and just, I was, I was just like on the, on the floor praying, like, uh, just let me, you know, let me do a okay job. Um, But yeah, confidence building and and mindset in that way takes time. I think you have to work on it. Maybe I have to work on it. Not everyone has to, but I feel like that's really something I have to work on. And maybe that's why I'm competing to force myself to actually work on that part of me that's always comparing and wanting approval um I have to really work on that um do you have any insecurities or doubts because um I wrote on the 
interview questions that from afar and even now talking to you you're very like put together um not in like a fake way (laughs) not in a fake way but you know like you 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 have like all the right answers to every question and um I don't know your mindset is so strong like do you have any insecurities any anything that you want to still work on in in that regard insecurities there's probably something (laughs) (laughs) I think what it is I'm a big believer that if you feel like so for for me like integrity is really important and it's really important to me that I do I act in a way that maintains integrity maintains self-discipline and is caring and considerate towards others that's kind of like my core values and so long as I believe I'm acting in a way that meets those values then I'm really content and and happy with what I'm doing and if somebody comes along and tries to question that or break that it's kind of I don't care (laughs) you know no, yeah, I, I think I'm just really, I'm I'm very very chilled out, and yeah, I don't think I don't think I get stressed. I I don't know how much of that has come from in my twenties experiencing an extreme amount of stress, an extreme amount of pressure, and mm. being in an environment where I am solely responsible for the photographic assets of a multi million pound movie, and I've got I've been given. 60 seconds with an A-list actor to do portraits of them when all these other departments are pulling them away and if I don't get it I'm in a lot of trouble and the cast member doesn't want me to do it and you know and and knowing that I've got to get that job done and doing that for 10 years makes you feel like oh actually I can I have the mental and physical fortitude to overcome stresses and problems Mm -hmm. and succeed and do what needs to be done so I think when you've developed that sense of confidence over time in your ability to overcome those things that makes it a lot easier to deal with challenges and not feel stressed by them um I take quite a yes approach to things yeah no um I was going to say that it's building some grit and some like mental toughness isn't it through what you're doing and when I was talking to Kiana Walker the other day she was pretty much saying the same thing so it's really interesting that you're kind of like in a different way you're talking about the same thing and she also was very um like she had moments where she said that she had moments where she doubted herself but she was very in tune with her inner voice and her own values and she was really clear on what her goals were and she didn't let other people like kind of waver her attention somewhere else so it's really similar um in terms of mindset um i was going to ask you also what you are afraid of if you have any fears can be unrelated to paul (laughs) oh that's a good question what am i afraid of I mean, I don't like spiders. <laughs> That's a very easy <laughs> one to go. I don't like spiders. Um, but so I actually have this, I have this um, kind of voice in my head. So 
this is actually something that I learned from my early days on set. So when I was very, very green for the film industry, I got a job doing the pre-production photography for um, the most recent Tarzan movie. And this was at a point in my career where meeting actors scared the crap out of me because I'm just little old lady from Blackpool who like should not be here with these people. And so I was told to shoot portraits of Margot Robbie, Alexander Skarsgård and Samuel L. Jackson. And the unit publicist um, was there to meet me and said, look, please, can you introduce me to the cast? Because you know, it, it's good etiquette as a photographer to always introduce yourself to the person you're going to be photographing rather than just, you know, because it, it would be very easy in my line of work to just nip in, take the shot, go away. And I, but I feel like, I feel that's quite rude. So it's always been a very core value of mine to do that. And I'm, I never want to let myself break that uh, sense of etiquette. Um, so she introduced me to Margot, introduced me to Alex, um, but didn't have time to introduce me to Sam. And he was the one I was most intimidated by because she'd also just told me this horrific story of an experience working with him on another movie. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to eat me alive. And he's there with all his entourage and um, everyone's, uh, the director's talking to him, the first AD's talking to him. He's having, you know, makeup checks and things like that. And they just called um, like a two minute warning kind of thing. I was like, oh my God, I have, I have to go and introduce myself because the publicist had to leave. And I had this moment of indecision of thinking, oh, it'd be so much easier to just hide and, and not face my fear. And I said to myself, no, no, I cannot compromise my values because I'm scared. So I just made a beeline for him, kind of literally weaved through this big group of people just to say, hey, I'm so sorry to inter interrupt. I just wanted to introduce myself before I point a camera at you. My name's Amy. It's lovely to meet you. And you know what? He massively appreciated that. And he showed that appreciation throughout the rest of the day whilst we were shooting. And ever since then, I always had this mantra that the moment I have to do something and I get that fleeting pang of, oh my God, I'm really scared. Do I have to do that? You know, put it off. The, the moment I feel that, I train myself to go, ah, that's my cue to go and do it. Come so I use, yeah, basic, I, basic, yeah, go for it. Keep going, keep going. I, I used to do it at work all the time. There'd, there'd be um, actors or directors who I'd be very intimidated by, or there'd be really, really difficult, intimidating situations to have to navigate that if I wanted to I could very easily have just shied away from it and still you know gotten on with my job um but having that rule that was in, that I'd ingrained to myself was the moment I feel that fear I have to do it and so I did that with scuba diving as well yes <laughs> I realized scuba diving scared the crap out of me so I was like nope I've got to do it but that's a great way of, have you ever read the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway? No. It's a really good book uh, by, I think it's by Susan Jeffries off the top of my head. She, I read that before I started teaching music because I had this imposter syndrome about teaching. I, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to teach even though I've been in the music industry for 10 years, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm not good enough, not sure. So I just started my teaching business that way. And then even with the podcast had the same thing. Mm, don't know if I should be podcasting. Uh, I don't know how it works like this kind of 
big fear of it being so complicated to put a microphone on you know uh your brain can really play tricks on you to make things seem like really impossible but actually when you just sort of break things down in tiny steps and just take it a step at a time you can actually achieve like quite a lot and I'm the same with competing too I think that's why I like competing because it really I'm happiest at home with my cat maybe watching a film <laughs> basically yeah. with my husband eating food um and I have to with competitions I feel like it really makes me go and meet other pole instructors it makes me train with people that maybe I've never met before it makes me reach out to them and kind of get out of my comfort zone of who I'm training with to learn new stuff and it just kind of escalates from there like everything to do with comp competing is very uncomfortable for me um the performance side is okay it's more like everything else like turning up talking to people taking up space to test the polls like talking to people i never have met before like that all is like seemed quite a lot when i'd never done it before whereas now i'm sort of getting used to it um mm. yeah it's it's a lot of things like traveling alone too is weird for me um mm. but I'm, I'm getting used to that too so i think um that's a really cool thing to feel your fear notice it and then just kind of be like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna just do it because yeah. that's a sign that i should be should be doing it to grow and to that's it it's how we grow and you know you'll probably have re you know had this experience being self-employed as well in that every time you kind of expand what you do as a self-employed business you're going to be doing something for the first time and that first time you do it you might be like oh never done this before like I'm really good at this thing I know I can do this thing but I've never done this can I do it should I be charging for it if I've not done it um you know like and all those thoughts go through you but then once you do it and you realize you didn't die yeah no nobody else died <laughs> <laughs> and and oh actually I've learned from this okay maybe it didn't go to plan but actually I know how I'd make it go to plan next time and and I think it's through like circling back around to um the more you step out your comfort zone and realize that nothing bad happened, yeah. the more confident you get with that, the more confident you are with the idea that, yeah, stuff could happen. Things mm. that you don't expect could happen, but actually I've got the, if you say to yourself, I've got the confidence in my ability to take whatever it is and mm. figure it out. Yeah, that's awesome. I think maybe we should end there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. It was such a fun conversation listening back to it now. We laugh so much. And I'm hoping to just become Amy, to be fair. <laughs> like, not become her, but you know, like take on a lot of her um, calm, quiet confidence. That's what I want because that is not my natural way of being. So. It's just giving me lots to think about and I hope it's giving you lots to think about too. Do go like, follow, rate, all of the things with the podcast because it will really help getting more people to listen to it and we appreciate all your feedback if you have any um, and we'll have another episode up for you within two weeks. So, see you soon.